0: Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Cursed, and my horrible solo music. you listen to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard
0: Patrick from filter and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That
3: Metal Show on bh one Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Crank It.
0: Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy old Gene Hoglan, who has played with... On your favorite metal band, and you are listening to Mars Attacks Radio. This is Kurt Winston from Crowbar, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Alan Tecchio from Autumn Hour, Hades, Nonfiction, Watchtower, Minds, Mirrors, and other assorted bands, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Hey, what's up, everybody
2: out there? This is Alexis from State Line and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
1: Hey, metalheads
2: and headbangers. This is Doro
0: Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Mastertex Radio. I wish you a great time. Rock on and keep metal alive. We hope that somewhere someone will stand up. So, All The This rain I blood me. before my eyes.
3: Welcome, one and all, to episode 44 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and we're going to start things off in a sort of unorthodox way. Uh, We just heard a little bit of Doro Pesh with Descent. Now, I had Doro come on and lend her comments to the Classic Albums column here on Mars Attacks, and uh, while we were discussing things, the conversation went all over the place. We discussed the new DVD that's coming out and a bunch of other things. We also got into uh, her work with Peter Steele. So real quickly, before advancing any further with this episode, I'm going to put that excerpt right here so you can hear her comments uh, relating the... or regarding the late, great Peter Steele?
1: Yeah, oh, I, I'd i love to. Yeah, we did, um, actually, the record was called Fight, and it was the song Descent. Actually, my guitar player and me, we wrote it, and it, it had, like, a real dark, dark, mystical vibe. And actually, I thought, wow, it, the song was calling for somebody with a low voice, and then would be so cool if, if Pete Steele would ever hear the song, maybe he would he would be interested in, you know, and then actually I got in touch with him and he was the sweetest man and I went to his uh, his house, to his home and he was like, he, he loved his cat, I remember, it, you know, he was, he had a great vibe with his cat and we were talking and stuff and then we went out to eat. And actually we drove around. She had a cool car. It looked out of a Mad Max movie. It was like it almost looked like self made but so cool. And uh, you yeah, know, we were driving around, having dinner, having great talks and she was super cool and, and, and such a great, great personality. He was very very soft spoken, but the low, deep voice was always like, Wow but yeah and then we were talking about the song, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I, I, I would, I would love to do it." And actually, my um, my bass player Nick Douglas, he prepared all the files and stuff, and then we went to his studio, and actually, and then he sang it, and uh, yeah, and he sent back the files, and oh, and I, I had to listen over and over and over again. I couldn't believe it, and especially when he was breathing. It sounded like so massive. And it was like wow and I, I thought it was very dark and uh, very very erotic in, in a way as well. Like wow and it uh, was very cool and yeah, and actually that was the last time that I that I saw him and um, but it was it was it was great. It was great and and I, I love his music. I thought wow, it was so unique and him as a singer and, and as a frontman Wow, so impressive, Um, mind-blowing.
3: Here we go, a little Eucharist by Straight Line Stitch. And uh, the reason for playing Straight Line Stitch is that Doro isn't the only person that will be featured during this episode. We will also have Alexis Brown of Straight Line Stitch. Uh, two very different singers from two very different generations. Uh, both very unique and I love Alexis's voice. She can give you, you know, the Angela Grasso-type growls, but at the same time, she's got a very melodic voice that no one else that is currently singing metal can do. And she has some atypical uh, influences for um, what people will admit to like nowadays, and I think it's great. During her interview, she's going to get into a lot of different things that really uh, influenced her uh, before she became a singer, and what pushed her to become a singer. And, you know, I think it's very cool. Um, what we're going to do is the usual is um, adding another track by Straight Line Stitch and then jumping into that episode. Before that, what I do want to mention is that this episode goes out. To to uh, all of you that um, were affected by Hurricane Irene, I know Doro lost her house. I want to send my condolences out to her and anyone else that may have been affected by the hurricane. Uh, also, this weekend is the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, and I've mentioned this during several episodes, I witnessed 9-11 from about 100 yards away. Uh, so it's definitely an event that has impacted me. Um, and will probably continue to impact me through the rest of my life. Uh, things have gotten better over the years, but you know it 's just something that is so tragic and and again so, so such a shock and again so impactful um, that i mean it 's something that I will carry with me forever and you know I, I want to send this out to the memory of all of those that died during those horrific events and all of the volunteers that were affected afterwards and their health and it's a shame that you know what took place is after all these years 10 years later just boiled down to uh, a political issue um, I'm going to have another podcast dedicated to to that and just various thoughts uh, later this week on the uh, victoremrues.com, the incoherent ramblings of Victor M. So you can check that out when it becomes available. And uh, also want to send this out to the unfortunate tragedy that took place today. Uh, KLH, or I'm sorry, KHL, uh, Team Locomotive, uh, Yaroslav, over in Russia. Uh, an entire hockey team went down and died uh, in a plane crash today. A lot of former NHLers involved, and me being a lifelong diehard New York Rangers fan, you have names like Carol Rakunik, Jan Merrick, who was a one-time traffic of the Rangers, and you also have um, Alexander Karpatsev, one of the first Russians to have their names on a Stanley Cup. Just happened to be during the 94 Rangers Cup team. Um, You know, just lost for words with that whole situation. Such a a tragic event. And uh, he's actually the first person to die off of that 94 uh, Rangers team. So condolences go out to, you know, everyone involved there and their families. And I want to, you know, dedicate this episode to them as well. In any event. Let's get into a little straight line stitch. This is coming off of their new album. This is the fight for your life. And you know. Isn't isn't that just what life is all about. You know it's a constant struggle. Back and forth with one thing. And another. You know it's it never. Pans out the way that I think anyone ever. Envisioned envisioned things to go so let's get into a track off of the album the fight of our lives by straight line stitch this is cold front (laughs) One of the things that I've heard the most about your band, Straight Line Stitch, is the live show. And every time that someone talks about your live show, they always talk about how commanding you are on stage. Um, Obviously, this is something that you're trying to get across when you guys perform, and you're trying to make a statement uh, when you guys perform. Is there anything from seeing another band or from growing up, maybe being influenced influenced by a certain band that made you want to be this way live?
2: Um, that's actually a really good question. There were, um, you know, especially, you know, we tour a lot. We tour with a lot of bands, especially a lot of bigger bands that have, you know, been in the game longer than we have. So it's definitely a learning experience for me. You learn a lot of things, and I like to think I learned a lot, especially like from touring with bands like Devil Driver, 36 Crazy Fist, and, um, what got me into wanting to do this in the first place was, like, my brother and my stepdad, they were in the rock, and, uh, you know, my my brother, he's listening to, like, Ozzy and Pantera, White Zombie, and Korn at the time, and my first concert I ever got to see was Korn, and how Johnson Davis commands the stage, and it's like, this is something that I want to do, because it's funny, because originally, I wanted to be an R&B singer. I wanted to have a girl group, and I wanted to do that with all my heart, and, um, and when my brother introduced me to the other side of the genre, you know, rock and hard rock and metal and all that stuff, I fell in love with it. And I was like, this is something I want to do because this is going to stand out. This is not just the norm, you know, me being just another black girl doing r and B, I I can be doing something totally different. So that's why I jumped over to doing, um, metal and hard rock and fell in love with it. And I just knew that I wanted to, I wanted to be good at it. You know, I didn't want to just half-ass it, especially when you get on stage. And, um, you just you learn a lot from the different bands that you tour with, for sure.
3: And that's a very interesting response because, you know, a lot of people, especially at, um, or a lot of groups, I should say, when they're young, there are some that do exactly what you said, you know, go out there like a sponge and absorb as much as they can, and there are others that go in the opposite direction, think their shit don't stink, and in five years' yeah. time, nobody knows who they are. So that's uh, exactly. very interesting. And another point, there was another question that I had later on, but you sort of touched on it there. There are so many things that I think you embody that are sort of atypical. Um, Being a, a black singer in metal, I mean, there are other black singers, but obviously it's not the norm. You're also a black female singer, which, you know, I can't think of any other black female singers out there that sing metal. I mean, maybe Jada Pinkett Smith. And,
2: right. But Nancy, she's hard
3: rock. Right, that's, that's true. I, I forgot about Skins, and that's funny because I brought her up in, in something that I wrote today. Um, but it, it's interesting because you're almost going against the grain so with everything. Yeah, it's it's right. it's rare being African American in metal and at the same time being a female. That even though it's become almost like a trend these last few years, uh, you're doubly gl- going against the grain being in a quote unquote man's metal scene and doing what you do and bringing something different to the table that you know isn't seen in every other band that's out there fronted by a female. Again, is this something that? you purposely wanted to do and bring something different and not fall into, obviously, the, the pitfalls that others have and just copy what other people are doing successfully?
2: No, that, you know, there's always people say there's always a formula, but to me, I think that's just bullcrap, you know? There's, like, to me, I always sit down, I always wonder this, I always ponder this myself, I just wonder what happened to all the bands that used to be, like, you know, the Rolling Stones, Red Zeppelin, like... The Beatles, Metallica, they never sounded it like anybody else. They never sounded, it, you know, like they're trying to clone something, you know? Right. To me, that if I was trying to embody anything, that's what I wanted to embody. I wanted to do something, you know. And, of course, it's, it is sort of like it's, there's a lot of singing and screaming out there, you know what I'm saying? And now there's a lot mm-hmm. of women coming up doing metal and screaming and singing and stuff like that. So it is sort of... Formulated in a way but I wanted to do my own twist I wanted to do it my way nobody does it the way I do it and I don't do it the way anybody else does it you know so it's not like right. it's not like we sat down and we wrote a record and we said okay we're going to write the heaviest album or we're going to write the most heaviest slash melodic album we sat down and we wrote what came out you know and mm-hmm. if we liked it we liked it and if it sucked we threw it away you know it wasn't oh right. we're going to try to go for the genre and try. To, we just wrote what came out you know and um to me, I just think, um, yeah, it's, it's a blessing for sure that, you know, people are we're starting to get more recognition about women coming up and doing metal. But to me, music is universal, you know. It's not about yeah. your color. It's not about your sex. And I don't think that we, we as women, we should use that as a crutch. You know what I'm saying? Because True. first of all, people don't care if you're a woman or you're a man or whatever color you are. They care about getting their money's worth. You get yep. on stage and you give them a show. That's what it's about. And that's, that's the only thing that's in our heads when we get upstairs, you know, when we get on stage and we play. Bring your A game. It's not I'm checking my my, my genitals to see if I, I grew balls or, you know, see if my breasts are still there. <laughs> it's about getting up there at a good time and, and doing what we do and entertaining people, you know.
3: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's, again, very cool to hear your response. So. Uh, <laughs> they, well, I, I mean, it's obviously very honest. And, and you know, there are so many – groups that are out there that are just playing up the fact that you know again they're copying someone else being popular and have that female singer who although she's she's great-looking you know once once you hear them you know you're automatically heading to the bathroom or, or heading for another drink because <laughs> they, they just can't hold their own up there so as you're saying you know you want your money's worth and I candy will only get you so far
2: well, you know, it's like my dream was always, first and foremost, forget the image. I know it's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm a female singer, good, yay. But my my first and foremost <laughs> thing was always to be like, I want to make music that touches people. Yeah. I don't care how we do it. I just want to make music that, you know, and and it happened yesterday, you know, like, for example, you know, we played yesterday, we played in Sacramento at a new place called Interstate, and this grown man a grown man came up to me and he was in tears. He was in tears. Like, it never happened to me before. He was in tears. And he was just like, your music touched me. It saved me from jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and I'm just like, wow. wow, This is, <laughs> this is what I want to do. I want to erase the fan the barrier. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want mm-hmm. our music... Music is supposed to touch people. That's what it's here for. Screw the gimmicks. Screw all the, the no-nonsense and all the, the money-making machines. It's supposed to touch people. Music is... That's what... You know, music was born for, you know? So yeah. I'm not going to get into that rant, but, you know, you
3: know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. That's uh, funny. I asked someone not too long ago in an interview how they measured their level of success. And when I have that question thrown at me, you know, I've had people that I've interviewed with varying levels of success. But what I determined for me personally is my success is being able to interview someone who's Music has done that to me, you know, people who help me get through hard times by listening to their lyrics exactly. or listening to their music. And that, to me, is a success because personally, you know, they've touched me. And just like you're saying, you know, being able to connect with the audience and, and having the audience have that type of an emotional connection with you and your words has to be, you know, absolutely powerful. It is. It's like,
2: It's the same connection because, you know what, I was there when I was writing the lyrics. I was going through the same thing. So it's cool when somebody talks to me and say, "Damn it, you helped me. I've been in this position and and, and it was hard. And you're musically helped me." And I'm just like, "Dang, hey, I was there too. I had some trouble with this. You know, I, that's why I wrote the song." So it's cool that I can relate just as well as they can to me. Yeah, you know.
3: Yep, yeah, I agree. That is very cool. Uh, as far as the writing was concerned for the album, "The Fight of Our Lives," how long did the writing take place?
2: Um, the writing just like, okay, we recorded, it took a month to record the album. Um, okay. it took, I want to say about maybe two months to write the album. You know what, I I might be lying about that. Maybe a month and a half to write the album. So, you okay. know, I have to get the songs together. Because we have been writing little bits and pieces while we're on the road. It's hard okay. to write as a full band on the road because, you know, there's not enough time, there's not enough space, not enough room. So, you know, usually the guys have their computers and they record riffs. And then, you know, when we had time off, we got together, then we actually just brought everything to the table. So um, right. all in all, I think the, like, the whole thing, write and record, it took probably about, like, uh, probably like three months, maybe three okay. months, something like that.
3: And as far as the writing goes, everyone pretty much writes as a cohesive unit, or is there someone that writes more than others?
2: No, we all write together as a unit, I write all my lyrics because I'm sort of, you know, well, I write all my lyrics, and then when we go in the studio, they're fine-tuned by whoever's, like, you know, doing engineering. You know, in that case, it's Ben Shiggle. Ben Shiggle, I always say his last name wrong. Uh, we done Chimera, and uh, two songs we did with Johnny K. You know, they are help fine-tune it, but my lyrics are written by me. They're my experiences. And, um, but as, you know, writing the record, it was a whole, all of us. We all contributed.
3: Okay. Do you have anything special that you rely on when writing your lyrics, or is it just, or is it just 100% from personal experience?
2: It's 100% personal experience. It's, I I always say this, I live by lyrics. I'm not writing something that, you know, somebody else experienced, or they might have, you know, we all experience the same thing sometimes, I guess. Right. Just, I'm, I'm writing things from my, my take, you know, things that I go through, things that I see, things that affect me, that's, that's what I write.
3: Okay. And did you guys purposely set out to do something different with this album as opposed to the previous album?
2: Yes. And, and let me explain what that was. When we when we first recorded and put out with Skybox show Show," our first album, we had to go we really, really new to the game. We had to touring. Don't get me wrong. We've been in the game, touring and stuff like that. But when we got signed, we had a bunch of people holding our hands, telling us what to do, telling us how to do it, which is fine because, you know, just like a baby, you have to show them how to walk, you know. You got to right. teach them, and that's fine. And then, you know, when we decided, when we started working on the second album, we said, we, as a band, we took a band and said, you know what, at the end of the day, this is going to be our record. Something that we can listen to and say, damn, I'm just proud. This is that we did. Nobody told us how to do it. Notice when to do it. It was something that we all did in the same time, and we decided. So we pretty much basically made it and made this our record. You know, we did, we did a lot of the pre-production ourselves. We did the majority of the writing ourselves. So, I mean, it's, de- it's just definitely this album, the part of our Life, is more our album than anybody else's album. It's ours.
3: You know? Okay. Cool. Uh, I mean, I can definitely understand what you're saying with both albums. And- you know, it's it's strange that you talk to a lot of bands and, again, they don't have that honesty or they don't have that clarity with, you know, what they need to do to get in and then what they need to do to progress.
2: Exactly. It, you know, and, and with God's with Own Short, it's a good album. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a great album. Bob Caggiano did a phenomenal job. To me, the album is just very, very polished. It's very, very polished. And to me and I'm not speaking for the band or anything like that because I know we all have different views on it, but to me, it's like, okay, that album is very polished, but it's not us. It's not who I think we've become as a band. And I feel like this album, The Fight of Our Lives, this showcases more of us as a band. You get to look inside and be like, damn, this is who they really are as people. You know, they walk, they walk in like we walk. You know, they're in a fight like (laughs) we are. You know, everybody's in some type of fight, and, and this is what the album's about. It's a statement album, you know.
3: Yeah. No doubt life is one long struggle, so
2: Oh yes. Oh yes. You have to be prepared for the fight.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Um as far as what you guys are playing live, how many of the new tracks are you playing in your or have you added to your set?
2: You know, pretty much um half of the, half of the whole set is pretty much new songs. I think we're playing like maybe three, maybe two or three like old songs, you know, oldies. But you know, majority of the set is new songs because we that album's been out for a long time and we we toured on that album like nonstop. It was time to like you know start putting some new stuff in. People were like, ah, damn, I heard that song a million times.
3: Yeah, I I can, and I'm sure you guys as artists as well, it gets to a point where you guys are playing the same set, or more or less the same songs over and over again, you also want to sort of challenge yourself as well.
2: I was like this, I was like, please shoot me if we have to play this set one more time. I was like, just blow my brains out because I'm tired of it. If I had to be brutally honest, that's what it felt
3: like. (laughs) I can imagine. Um... As far as your voice is concerned, do you do anything special to keep it up to snuff for each one of your performances?
2: I probably should, but I don't. You know, okay. at first I was, you know, for a while when we did, you know, we recorded the first album, I, I did some training with, with the boss, And she's right. off, and she's so cool. And I did, you know, I was doing the warm-ups, but I'm I always slacking that stuff. Like, if there's something I'm supposed to do, I, I sort of slack. I'm just like, damn, but I don't feel like doing it today. Um, i I s I'm supposed to warm up before shows. it's it, you know, it's not only is it smart but it protects your throat, you know. Um, I don't. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say that a lie to you, I don't. But um, you know, sometimes I um Travis, the, the singer for Divine Heresy, he would like, uh, give me like little tricks and stuff like that. He would tell me like to take a cap full of olive oil in case my my cords got dry or breathe into a towel for like twenty or thirty minutes before you play. Like here and there I'll do things like that, you know, but it's nothing crazy. It's there's no secret that I do, you know, to make my to make me sound the way I do. You know, that's just I found that way.
3: Okay, cool. And it's cool because you do have the the, the two extremes in your voice and, and definitely, um, you know, out of any of the uh any singer in metal right now, probably the most Melodic voice out there and being able to hang in there and do some really great melodic stuff, which is, you know, to me any band, (laughs) but any any band that has guttural vocals, you know, I love it. But after a a time of just listening to that, you want something else, and I think you guys have that perfect balance in being able to bring both to the table.
2: Thank you. Thanks. Had a happy medium, I guess.
3: (laughs) Yeah. At least it keeps me happy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You mentioned before that um, you came close to being an R&B singer or wanted to be an R&B singer, and your brother's influence made you become a uh, metal singer. If you were to choose one singer that lit the spark in each direction, one R&B singer and one metal singer, who would those choices be?
2: Um, and metal was Jonathan Davis. Uh, okay. I, I was him, I, I was in love with Jonathan Davis. I was like, oh, that's what I want to be, and uh, <laughs> I, was young, I was really, really young, and, uh, it was his voice. I thought he was a phenomenal singer. Um, and then, and, um, what made me want to do R&B was Aaliyah. I, okay. I just thought she had such a little, She had, like, not one of, like, like a powerhouse voice, but she had a voice that touched people, that it was just, it didn't matter that her voice was, you know, like mine, sort of like not so strong, but, you know, strong enough, you know. So I definitely inspired because of Aaliyah and Johnson Davis, for sure.
3: And she had a very unique voice as well. It wasn't sort of a uh, cookie-cutter voice where, you know, you could, I mean, you could pinpoint who she was, and then you were hearing at the same time, like, 50,000 other singers that all just sounded alike because, you know, they were all working with the same producers and everything, but she definitely did stand exactly. out. Yeah. She
2: did. She, and then, you know, she... in metal, like, it. I'm sorry.
3: No, no, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to say, and, you know, even in the metal, there's, you know, other singers that, you know, inspired me, you know, as far as, other than Jonathan Davis, he was the reason why I wanted to, like, because Korn, when it came out, they started that whole trend. They opened the door for, like, a bunch of bands. You know, that to me, yeah. that was inspiring. But, you know, I, I admire singers like, you know, Brock, Without, from 36 Crazy Fists, Dale Palumbo from Glassjaw. Like, their voices, to me, are unique. And definitely Stevie Nicks. She's, like, my favorite vocalist of all time. So mm-hmm. I just had to throw that in there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem at all. That's funny that we've talk so much about corn and and how influential they are, Uh, I'm actually putting a a list together for my website, or actually I have been sending a list out to different artists and producers and stuff to comment on different albums that I feel have influenced metal and hard rock and whatnot, and I put the first corn album on there just because of the influence that I think that they had and what an impact that was, what a shock that was. To metal in general, when that album came out, I remember. I rem- yeah, I remember getting up for work at five o'clock in the morning and seeing the video for Blind and thinking, "What the hell is this?" You know, I, it, it was just so different. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, how to grasp it. And a lot of times, those are the groups or those are the the songs or albums that really stick with you because it's so different that it really is exactly. almost like a sh- a shock and you know it's just so cool so i'm glad that you brought that, that up and go ahead
2: that whole era pretty much changed my life in music
3: yeah.
0: for
2: sure the whole corn era that that changed my life for sure
3: and and i also think it's cool that we're mentioning corn because for some stupid reason, you know, over the past few years, it's almost like taboo to bring up certain bands from that period. And, uh-huh. you know, I don't, yep. I, I, I don't know. It's just dumb because a lot of people don't like the period because of what their friends are saying, or, you know, they're looking over their shoulder and don't want to say, Hey, well, I like this band, you know, and through every sort of evolution in metal or hard rock, there's been good and there's been bad. And, you know, Bands like Corn are the bands that stick out because they were the pioneers. I think the problem is the fifth generation, you know, retread of Corn is what sort of ruined what was going yeah. on. And I and I don't think that's the fault of the band so much as you know a label wanting to make make it's cash. People, off. people are fickle. People yeah. are fickle. They really are.
2: And that's you know, it's, I love what I do. Don't get me wrong.
0: But yeah.
2: You yeah, I'm scared of people. You know, I really am because the people have such strong emotions. They love you to death. They love you to death. But right. something bigger and better comes tomorrow. They don't even know who you are. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a big deal. And it's like, I'm not ashamed of the things that I like. I don't think anybody should be ashamed of the things that they like because if it's good to you, that's all that matters. You know, people yeah. are too, too worried now about, oh, if I say this, it's going to be embarrassing or are people are going to laugh at me. It's like, who cares? You know, if that's what started you going down a path you're going, I mean, why would you be embarrassed of that, you know? It's just silly to me, you know? But it's a crazy world, and (laughs) that's how things are, unfortunately.
3: (laughs) Unfortunately. With you 100%. So... (laughs) (laughs) You've mentioned some of the bands that uh, that you toured with so far. You guys have also toured with Nonpoint this year. You're on the Hell, Half, oh, No Fury yeah. tour now with In This Moment, System Divide and uh, Sister Sin. Uh, what stands out so far with these tours that you've done this year? Outside of being able to present your new music, what other things, maybe playing a certain city or some crazy event that sticks out in your mind? No
2: you know, what- What sticks out in my mind with all these bands that we've toured with, even going back to Devil Driver, which was our first really, really big, big, big tour, what sticks out in my mind is how genuine and how nice these people really are. You really don't get that from, like, you know, you can see and read things, you know, and not really get the just of a person or a band, you know?
0: They're
2: sort of flat until you meet them. Uh, or you tour with them, you live with them on the road, and to me, that's what's really stuck out. That these people are—they're sweet, they're kind, and humble. And I mean, that's why we've made so many friends. You know, from Devil Driver to In This Moment to Nonpoint, the Thirty Six Crazy fist, just every single band we tour with, we always make friends because you. I think first and foremost, you have to be human. You know, right. through the rockstar image, all that nonsense. You have to be human, and and that's what I've learned, because, you know, I totally thought, you know, being new to the game, you know, being the baby band, that everybody's a rock star, everybody's going to have this attitude, it's going to suck, and, you know, we just can't be that way, but I already had everybody labeled as, you know, the rock stars, the bad people, and I learned, you know, I learned that, you know, not everybody is, you know, messed up, you know, not everybody right. is like how people perceive you, you know, and um that that definitely sticks out in my mind that you know these these people that we tour with they human and they're awesome, and they've all been kind and I' all of us I speak for the whole band we have nothing but absolute love and respect for all the bands we've toured with so far
3: okay and and now that you're mentioning that i I think I interviewed um Mercedes from Kitty last year or two years ago, and she mentioned you guys were on tour with them as well and help them out yeah. because their bus had broken down. They,
2: well, you know what? It went hand in hand because their trailers—they were having trouble with their trailers, and it kept breaking down. Tires kept busting out, and then eventually, our our van broke down. And what right. we did was we let them use our trailer, and then they let us stay on the bus while our van was messed up. So it, they're really, they're really awesome girls. That crew was awesome. They're awesome, and um, it's just—it was. You, you meet some really amazing people on tour. You really do. I need to yeah. knock on wood because I don't want to meet you. rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no bad people, no mean people, please. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, that's funny because, uh, you know, I, I can say that luckily I've never had a bad experience with any interviews, either in person or over the phone. But oh. you hear stories and you talk to people. You and, yeah. And then and then it turns out like you're saying that, you know, someone can be the sweetest person in the world and there's all this crap written about them and it's you know, unfortunately a lot of times it's you know, someone trying to make a name for themselves or, or whatever. So that's sorta right. why I I'm glad that, you know, that I do a podcast and that I am able to bring someone's voice to life so that people can connect, you know, a picture to to a voice and and hear someone's you know feelings and inflection in their voice, as opposed to some idiot trying to uh, get their name out there. So
2: exactly, and you don't know how much we appreciate that. You know, all of us we so appreciate what you what you do for us bands for sure.
3: I I have no problem at all. Like I said, I've I've never had an issue with going out and and doing you know what little part I can to help promote bands that I'm into. So. It's my pleasure, definitely.
2: Thank you, <laughs> uh,
3: As far as touring goes, uh, you guys are also going to be touring with In Flames, and you're going to be on the uh, Mayhem Festival. The yes, I was confused. Oh, this whole the whole big long name here, Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival. So
2: that is correct. <laughs> this is yes. Uh, I get you know what, I, I, we were calling it Mayhem Fest and we got in trouble. It's like, you got to say the whole name. And it's like, okay, we're doing the Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival. <laughs> I get so <laughs> excited <psyched laughs> every time I say it. So I'm glad yeah. you said it. <laughs> yeah, um, we're in <laughs> show. This is our first time. And uh, we definitely have to thank, you know, our, our manager team for really fighting for us, uh, getting us put on there. They really, really went hard to paying for us. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, definitely looking forward to, you know, seeing these bands definitely in flames machine head uh also Parish. it's an amazing like bands a- an amazing amount of bands that i'm like looking forward to see on that field king of sorrow as well
3: cool a lot of great bands absolutely yeah and and it's funny because people always bitch about how there are no good festivals or no good tours in the states and there's a perfect example of a good you know, touring festival that'll be around in the summer. So,
2: yeah, it's it's a good thing to have. I'm I'm glad that it's it's you know still doing its thing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, where should people go to keep up with the band?
2: They should definitely. Um, we still have a MySpace, but uh, MySpace is. MySpace is, I'm mad at MySpace right now, because every time I get on there to check my messages, reply back to people, it freezes up. It's so annoying. So yeah. um, I, pretty much we all transfer all our stuff to uh, Facebook. The band has a Facebook page. I have a Facebook page, as well as MySpace. People still want to hit us up on MySpace. Um, if they want to talk to us, they can, because nobody controls it but us, and we get back to We talk to our fans. So it's not like, you know, you just throw one out a message and it's like, oh, well, if you ever read this, you know, expect to talk <laughs> to us because we shopped back. And right. um, they can always hit us up anytime if they want to find out any information, any new date, or they just got a question or they just want to reach out to any of us. All I have to do, feel free to hit us up. We are there for for them, for sure. Cool. Hey, what's up, everybody out there? This is Alexis from Straight Lines Kids, and you're listening to Mars Attack.
3: bit of conversation from straight line stitch coming off of the fight of our lives again really love that band really love the unique sound that they have uh there are so many bands out there that you know, just mimic one another, and Alexis has that it factor definitely has a very strong voice, a very unique voice and want to thank her for coming on the show. want to also thank Bill Meese for setting everything up. I did that interview a long time ago, well, not a long time ago, a few months back. Uh, again, one of the ongoing themes here has been the birth of my son and how that pretty much pushed everything back. So I do apologize to everyone involved for this Uh, interview taking so long to come out, but hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, What we're going to do is get into a little uh, music from Doro, since she's featured in the latter half of the show. Uh, Her people over at her management company, uh, her name is Liz at Earsplitter, I'm sorry. Sorry, Liz, forgot the name of the company. Um, She helped set everything up. And um, she was kind enough to send me MP3s of the new DVD that's coming out on the 13th of September uh, in the US. It's been out in Europe for some time. And uh, let's get into a live track off of the DVD. Uh, This track is called Earthshaker Rock. With regards to the DVD, um, it's about to come out in the U.S., and the title is 25 Years in Rock. Did you ever think when you started that 25 years later you would still be doing this?
1: Oh, no, no. I think, man, when when I started, we actually, um, yeah, we just did it for fun, I just always wanted to become a singer since I was three years old. And then we did our first record. It was called Burning the Witches in 1983. It came out. And actually, that was, was great. We had no idea that people would even know about us. And we thought maybe we would sell like 100 copies. And I was counting all my friends and family members and girlfriends and boyfriends. And we had about like yeah, 100 copies. And then the first week it came out. And it sold, like, I think 25,000. And we, we were all in shock. We thought, who even knows that we are alive? And we were like this little band, you know, practicing in Düsseldorf, Germany. And suddenly it was like we, we yeah, there was some excitement going on. Now, yeah. And then actually we got picked up by Polygram. And it was this big, major label. And then the second album, Hellbound, that was actually much, much harder to do. Like the first one was just fun and no pressure. We just, you know, we just went for it. And then the second one, we had a producer, a big studio. Everything was like, you know, so-called professional. And that was actually pretty hardcore. And then, you know, then suddenly I felt a couple of people in the band, they didn't like that vibe. They just wanted to do whatever they want to do. And whenever they want to do And suddenly, you know, you had to, there was pressure behind it. Yeah, well, and then this record came out, and it was so hard to make, and I thought that would be my last record ever in life. That was 85. And then at the, and then we did another record, and then I moved to the States. I fell in love with America, and then we did this um, Triumph and Agony album, which I think still to this day was one of our best records. Yeah, and then suddenly, you know, I, I, yeah, it it was so it was so much energy there and the new country and we did uh, the record in New York and then All We Are was one of our biggest singles and it it just it was great and and then somehow I lived and learned and you know and then I could cope with like heavy stuff and, and hardcore stuff or you know, like it was uh, actually then I got used to it and now now we're working on our record number seventeen, and I'm still alive. But I must say, sometimes it was very, very hard. And at first, when you're just when you're doing it as a hobby with all your best friends, it's a different animal. And then suddenly, when it becomes professional, there are different laws, and you have to play by some rules. You don't want to play by, but you somehow have to. And um, yeah. And then you know, but it was always it was always great because I. I love the fans, and and I could, you know, uh, I could put up with anything as long as I knew the fans they were behind us, and and we always had a strong connection from day one. So, so it's um, yeah, whatever it takes, you know, when I know that the fans are there, then yeah, then I can go through heaven and hell, and it doesn't matter how hard it gets and how bad it gets, and you know, it's uh, it's. It's, it's gonna be all right and, and we definitely yeah we yeah we had some lessons to learn and to um, yeah and some some heavy people around us which I always thought everybody's our friend and they're all fans and they're all there for the music but then you know we had to yeah we had to experience that you know some people they are just in it for different reasons and of course, like every band, probably goes through that, and we had bad management, bad deals. We signed our life away many, many times, and I still pay for that. But but we had fun. It's okay. And um, just the only thing was a, a pretty heavy disaster. It was when we lost our name, Warlock, when the band just got a little bit established and got some. Attention! and we did great tours my first tour was with judith priest in 86 and my second tour was with ronnie james Dio in 87 which i love and miss so much and and then the next tour was uh, in america with megadeth yeah and then we lost the rights to our name warlock and then it was it was heavy but um, and we you yeah, know changed the name to doro which i never intended to make a solo career it was just like there was like the record company said, okay, you know maybe that's what the fans would associate with, and um, yeah, and then and I I got the name back like a couple of years ago, but it only took uh, 23 years. So, but uh, so it's, uh, it was always ups and downs, but I I loved it and every minute of it, and as long as the fans were behind us, pff, you know it's uh, it was it was okay, it was cool.
3: Would you ever put anything else out under the Warlock name?
1: Oh, oh hard to say at the moment, there are no plans, and we're just in the middle of making a new record, and I don't know, maybe maybe some bootlegs and stuff. I collected some great bootlegs over the years, right but, uh, it's hard to get you know all like you know all the other band members like that you know that everybody okays it and that's um, we did a couple of times a reunion. And uh, but sometimes some some guys said no, we, you know we, we don't want to do it anymore. My bass player from back in the eighties gave up music; he doesn't play anymore the bass, and and so I I know I couldn't convince him to to do something more. But maybe with some other people. But at the moment. We don't know yet, but on the new d v d there's actually a couple of songs of our wall of the Union. It's on just a, a different bass player, Nick Douglas, my bass player for the last twenty one years He's a great guy, great musician, and he actually filled in for the bass player who who gave up music and so but it it was fun and so yeah it was it was pretty pretty cool
3: okay, and would you have ever imagined when you started out that titles like? Legend or influential would have been associated to you.
1: Oh, oh man, it's uh, that, that's too much. I'm, I'm. You know what? I'm just a metalhead. I'm just a metal <laughs> fan. I still am. And you know, and I, you know, I, I feel I'm, I'm a servant to the fans. I want to make the fans happy. Want to give them, you know, positive energy. You know, you know, with all power, passion, energy, like good. You know good songs, something, what, you know, what what makes their life maybe a little bit brighter, and, you know, and even maybe just two-hour concert, you know, is, you know, is, is like like a good memory for somebody, so I I just, I always give it my all, and I love the fans more than anything else in this world, and I always want to, you know, yeah, do it till, till, till the very last day in my life, if that's possible, and I'm just so grateful to yeah to have like the the strong fan base who always carried us through, and um I'm just yeah one of the metal community and I'm so happy to be part of it and you know and just like yeah i'm, I'm very happy that I can do it and I love singing, I love music so much, so you know i I appreciate it every day, and every concert is you know it, it could be the last and and every every festival every tour is a new challenge and i I always yeah, wanna wanna do great for the fans and I hope that I can do many, many, many more years. But I still always, you know, will stay and better fan and you know, and I, I enjoy other bands and music, you know, just as much, you know, and actually yeah, still nothing changed from the early eighties to now. Like, you know, I still I'm still a huge fan of many, many people and yeah.
3: Okay, and um, when I was reading i 'm sorry a, a press release from when the d v d came out in Europe, it mentioned that you had uh two people that have been very kind to my shows, Bobby Blitz Ellsworth from overkill and and Jean Beauvoir from um, Crown of Thorns and obviously the Plasmatics. Um, what was it like to get all of these uh, special guests involved uh, in this show, and uh, was there any difficulty setting up uh, having all of these people involved? Yeah, actually, it, it's hard to believe,
1: but it was all like it—it it was like like a dream come true. Everything worked out. Like all the guests, I—I I tried to contact. There were. They were so supportive, and I said, "Yes, we're coming." And just tell us when and where. And it was actually, it was, it was great. And we worked on this uh, show a whole year. And then, yeah. And I, I went to, you know, like concerts of like, Barbie, and you know. And I asked him, I said, "Yeah, you know, in one year we have this great, you know, big celebration, 25 years." And he said, "Yeah, you know what? I, I'm, I'm coming." really and he said yes just you know tell me which song would be great and then I was thinking of the songs which you know I was hoping that the guests would you know like love here and there a song which you know would suit their personality their style and with Bobby I thought yeah maybe like a hard and fast high energy song and he did actually um, in the concert the song Always Live to Win and he was the first guest on stage uh, on that night and he was it was great and he was so he was so nice and, and the performance was awesome and I think he's one of the best front people ever I think his energy level that's like, that's unbelievable and I, I love his style, I think he's, wow he's so, so powerful so intense, I think that's that's so metal, and um, and I was so happy that he, that he came to the show. And and there were many, many great guests, which they went out of their way to to get to. Actually, the show was taking place in Germany, in my hometown, and many fans from all over the world came, and many musicians. And and I think one person had probably the longest uh, uh, plane flight. It was like three times change over. It was Bauerle Dane of Nevermore. And he was actually, he meant so much to me because um, he was on the tour we did in America. It was my first big tour in 1987, 88. It was with Megadeth and Sanctuary, and he was the singer for Sanctuary. And I thought maybe it would be so cool to, you know, to invite him and to, you know, make the fans see, you know, some, you know, some, but they wouldn't uh, expect and then he came over and i think it took him 27 hours from seattle and wow. and we sang together a warlock uh tune to, to a steel and that was awesome and yeah and then joe beauvoir was there the scorpions were there rudolf schenker and Klaus minor we did actually two scorpion songs um big city nights and rock you like a hurricane which was my first uh, my first song i've ever i've ever heard of the scorpions and that was great. And then we did a Warlock reunion. And then one of the highlights was the full metal female version of the song Celebrate. There's a song which um, we did uh, three versions of. One was with Bits of Saxon and one with the fans. And then one was the full metal female version And all kinds of great ladies of metal from death metal, thrash metal to uh, gothic metal to traditional metal. It was like um, Angela... From Arch Enemy was singing on it Sabina Klaven of Holy Moses, Floyd Hansen of After Forever, the Girls of Girl School. They came and yeah from the Gothic scene Liz
2: Christine and
1: um, Jean Cho from Krypteria and so we all performed that song and it was it was wonderful it was wonderful and and then there was another lady which we did a duet with Um, the song was called Walking with the Angels it was Taya Turunen the ex-singer of Nightwish and it was like oh, it was a hell of a night it was so great and it was our longest concert it was three and a half hours long <laughs> and uh, that's the main part of this new DVD and it was definitely the, the greatest moment in, in my life and yeah and the last song was All We Are with all the guests like everybody came on stage I thought you know we would fall off because there were so many people <laughs> on stage and the fans were singing along and then uh, two of the ladies uh, Sabina Klassen and live from Liz christine. she was actually she suddenly you know they were they were holding me up in the air and and all the girls they had a lot of beer to drink like backstage <laughs> they had a great time, so we were almost falling down it was it's funny when you see it on the DVD, you, you know what i mean and it was it was great and actually, I couldn't hold back my tears. it was so emotional and so exciting and so um, yeah, and it was it was great. And and many more guests. I didn't even tell you everybody. It was like oh, it was it was awesome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> How difficult was it for you to uh pick all the songs for the set list uh for the show?
1: actually we did all the highlights of each uh, record and then I asked the fans like we did you know the fan club members and in in the internet they could all you know write in their favorite songs and then I thought of songs which would be maybe good with the guests I I knew a couple of guests they they played with us together or we were on tour together so I kind of you know I kind of was going by instinct and by feeling I thought "Mm, you know this would be maybe good for for this person and yeah, and um, yeah, and then getting uh, getting together all the rights, it there was a whole other story. But we did it. That's the reason <laughs> why it took so long. the whole DVD to, to make it, it was well, one and a half years, but uh, it was an all yeah, it was all all great. And and there's a special on it from our 2500 concert as well, and we <laughs> just celebrated that a couple of months ago. Another great uh, list of guests was was there. Um, Schmear of destruction and Mark Dorachi of Krokus and, and and tons and tons of uh, of great people. So it's so uh, yeah, but that's where I feel the happiest amongst the fans and amongst like you know great great musicians who who meant so much to us or who were sort of supportive or who were our heroes and yeah and and this DVD is dedicated to Ronnie James Dio, needless to say and and yeah it's um. It was actually I, I I went on tour and together with you. We could open up so many times, and it was it was so fantastic. And and actually, um, yeah, the last time we played, we were the support band for Heaven and Hell. I was in Germany, and and we did great tours in America together. And and in the booklet of the DVD, you can see all kinds of great songs and uh, great uh, pictures. Sorry, no songs. This just one song. Uh, the Ronnie James Deal song we covered, it's Egypt. There was uh, We covered this one time for, um, there was a tribute album, it was called Holy Deal. And um, yeah, many years ago we covered the song Egypt because I loved it so much. And then actually Ronnie heard it and she said, wow, I love that version, That's awesome. And yeah, and then a couple of months later we, we, yeah, he took us on the road with him. It was uh, the tour in 2000, it was... Um, one James Dion in the mindstein and us, and oh, it was unforgettable and um yeah, and it's um yeah we still can't believe that that he's not here anymore and he was definitely one of our biggest biggest in- inspirations and um yeah, we became really, really great friends on that tour in in two thousand in America. Even though we toured together in '87, but uh, I couldn't speak English back then, so you know, (laughs) coming out of Germany, just like the school English, that didn't do much. And I just, you know, always said, "Oh, I have a great show, and thank you," and that was it. But in 2000, we we had great, great talks, great conversations, great laughs, and um, yeah, and and I saw every single show on that uh, on the tour. And we finished the tour in Florida. There were three gigs in Florida. And then at the end of the concert, in the encore, was like Ronnie. he was always so nice. And he always gave me a second microphone. He said, yeah, please come up and let's sing, you know, stuff together. And then we sang yeah, along live rock and roll and stuff. And, um, you know, and I had the biggest smile on my face. And a couple of fans made pictures. And these pictures, they're actually in the DVD. And, um, yeah, and and of course we, we miss him and he's he's always in, in our hearts and you know, it's, um,
3: yeah. And you were actually um just part of some Dio's disciples shows as well, right? Yes,
2: yes, yeah. Yeah,
1: that was great. I um yeah, actually I filled in for Ripper Owens and I did uh, the Spain tour and it was so oh man, it was it was great. It was very emotional, and it was it was so nice. The guys in the band. It was Simon Wright on drums, and Craig Goldie on guitar, and um, Scott on keyboards, and James Lomendo who played the bass. And and they were so they were so kind, and I, I felt like families, and they were. They were like, you know, I felt really welcomed and um and they helped me a lot because it was not easy like to to sing all these songs and then to just jump in and I knew they were touring already with uh Ripper Owens and Toby Jackson. He was the other singer and yeah, and then yeah, and then I, I went to see them in Hamburg and yeah, and then I saw oh god, there's so many songs and yeah, and then I listened to to the Ronnie James Deal songs every day and night, like hundreds and hundreds of times and I wanted to to do good. And then yeah, and then we started in Spain and it all went really well and and um and of course nobody can sing as beautiful as Ronnie. That's uh, that's for sure. But we, we all tried our best and I tried <laughs> my best and um and it was a big honor to be Part of it, and uh, but I just stayed in. So, but maybe eventually I would love to, you know, to to sing or to, you know, to be a guest again, you know, and um, yeah. But it was it was great, and yeah, you know, and all the the duo band man, they were like oh, they, they they were great people, the most fantastic musicians, and you know they were, you know they yeah they have a big heart, and I I was really grateful to to even, you know, have the chance to, yeah to ride in the tour bus, to do the shows together, to talk and, you know, to, to get to know them. Like, so, you know, even, even though we tour together, but usually, you know, um it's like, you know, the support and, and the headliner, they just, you know, say, you know, rock on, have a great show. And, but it, it never gets so involved that you definitely have time to talk and stuff and sit down. And, and this time we had, yeah, greatest talks and it was great and of course we we only talked about ronnie and stuff and but it was it it all felt good i think to everybody to yeah to, to talk about you know his spirit and his songs and you know and how much he means to everybody and you know, and 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 i felt like when when i was learning the songs suddenly i i saw and i I could hear all these nuances, which I've never heard so much before. I loved the songs so much. I knew them. But then when I really had to learn them, suddenly I could, you know, I could feel things and I could see things. And, you know, like he was the king of like nuances and like, you know, and like coming up with the most beautiful words and melodies. And it was, uh, I I learned so much too. um, But it's it's still very, uh, it's. Very emotional and yeah but uh, and and i i t- I tell another story with um I was in Spain, and the two of us were, the guys they were coming from Switzerland, and it took them many, many hours, so I had like a long time to to get prepared, and it was my- last night before the first show in Spain. And then actually I had my little CD Walkman because I'm a little bit old school so I still, you know, love and buy CDs. So I had my CD Walkman and I was listening to all the Rainbow and Black Sabbath and Dio songs and was singing along and then suddenly it stopped. The battery went dead and I thought, no way. And I felt like, man, I'm not prepared, you know, as much as I wanted to. And, and I thought, oh, no way. And then I was all bummed out and then I switched on the TV, and there was nothing on. I switched it off. And then suddenly I saw a little piece of plastic laying there, you know, on, on the floor. And I thought, that's, that's strange, you know. And suddenly I thought, what what's that little piece of plastic? It didn't seem like my makeup stuff, which I always have tons of stuff, but it didn't seem <laughs> that it would belong to my uh, things. And, and then I was looking for where it would belong. And then suddenly I saw the remote control and you know, face down, and then I saw batteries, and they were brand new, and I thought, oh my God, I said, oh, thank God, or maybe (laughs) it was Ronnie, you know, wanting us to do good and to play good, and then I put the batteries in, and then I could sing all night, and I could practice, and then the first show was like, it all went great, and, you know, even though I was nervous as hell, but it all worked out Fantastic, and then the second and the third show, Barcelona and Madrid, I were even better. And I felt really comfortable with the guys in the band. It made me feel like really, really, you know, like they they were so supportive, and and it was great. And it was an honor to play with this caliber of uh, musicians and and people. And you know, was was great. And somehow I felt like yeah, I was I was a part of you know of, of a of a good thing for a short time, but it meant the world to me. It was awesome, and I I want to thank Wendy dear so much for, for even you know giving me a call and thinking of me. It was a big honor, and you know, it, was,
3: it was great. Uh, the one time that I actually got to see you in concert, it wasn't actually one of your shows, uh, and this concert meant a lot to me. It was the New York Steel concert when you jumped on stage at the end with Twisted Sister. Yeah, I actually, unfortunately, was still living in the States when 9-11 went down and I actually saw uh, 9-11 happen live and in person in Manhattan from about a hundred yards away. So that concert has always uh, meant the world to me. So, I always remember you coming up on stage and singing "We're Not Going to Take It" with Twisted Sister. Is there anything that you can say regarding that show?
1: Oh yeah, it was. Oh man, like you know, even I have a German accent. I I still have that. I know, but I I feel I feel so connected to, especially New York, and I feel you know I. I feel American in my heart, and it was right. like when that happened, I was, I was so I, I was so shocked when and I actually lost so many people because I had a manager at the time he was a policeman, and his best <laughs> friends were all the fire the, 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 the people who worked in the fire department and they went in, and many didn't make it and i was it was very emotional. Yeah, that concert. I saw many people I haven't seen in a long time, and it was actually I, I was I was glad to be a part of it. And but man, it's uh, I think the whole world changed since that happened. And uh, yeah, and actually, yeah, I I played with Twisted Sister um, many times before. We opened up for them in Long Island and around the New York area, and we always had you know, so much fun and it was great and, and and that night it was like it was heavy. It was it was heavy and somehow you know, it, it was great to you know, to be amongst family, amongst the best people, but it was it was very, very emotional and yeah, you know, very, very sad and uh, yeah super heavy that, that that night but um but I was I was I was glad that, that, we were, that they were doing that concert that so many people came. It was great. But uh, it's very, you know, it's so shocking. And I must say, you know, when when I started out in the 80s, you know, we were pretty much against everything. But I tell you, there was not even so much to be against. It was just like normal life. And, and I think now life got so hard. It got so much harder. And um, it's such... Such a fight to survive, and it's yeah, it's such a struggle. I think uh, the eighties and nineties they were like the good old times, and I guess we took care of like you know great outfits and uh, long hair and bullet belts and my leather jacket. That was all you know I cared about, and uh, and everything changed since that day happened. And I think worldwide it's it became so serious, and it's. Yeah, it's it's it it. I think it takes much much more, you know, to yeah, to to stay positive now to have a to keep a good attitude. And I think, yeah, the uh, the heaviness of of life and what what happened and what happens worldwide. I think it's uh, it's heavy. It's heavy. I think um, yeah. And I used to live right across from the World Trade Center. I lived in the Rector place, and it was great there in Battery Park City. And actually, every day, I went to take the subway from the World Trade Center, and there was a little shopping mall, and I always had a coffee, and I had a bite to eat, and had many people, I, you know, I met, and had, like, not a deep friendship, but, you know, we were, like, we were kind of buddies, and, yeah, and, and um, there was. It was unbelievable.
3: Getting back to the DVD for a moment, when does the DVD come out in the States? Uh, it's coming out the
1: 13th of September, and, um, and it's out in Europe already, but I'm so happy that it's finally coming out in the States, and uh, we have a new label. It's coming out on nuclear Blast. And yeah, and then we play two shows. Actually, the ninth of September in New York City, the Gramercy Theater. We wanna do a great show with many great guests, many surprises, like something really, really special and unique. And then the next show is actually on the eleventh of September. I tried to to move it, but the promoter said no. You know, it's booked. But we wanna play a show actually in uh, Chicago. It's called Reggie's Rock Club. But I wanna, I wanna play it with like utmost respect and um and change the set list and have a really special, unique show. But it will be different from the New York show, and we will probably have a great guest there as well in Chicago. But both shows will be, yeah, completely different. But um, yeah, that's. But... Great and maybe similar to the DVD, and yeah, and some some great some great guests already. You know, said yeah, we are definitely jumping up on stage and playing with you guys. And yeah, I know that uh, Chris Caffrey is coming, and um, Michael from Accept, the new singer of mm-hmm. Accept, he's coming, and, and many other great people. So I'm yeah, I'm, I'm excited, and that will be like the release parties for
3: the DVD and. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you're working on a new album. When can we expect to see that?
1: Mm. Yeah, it it probably will come out next spring. And, um, yeah, we already are... Yeah, we're doing pretty good. It's, um, yeah, it's it's in the making, and the songs are great. Like, songwriting is uh, already, like, yeah, we we got it all, what we wanted. Maybe there's sometimes, you know, last minute there's a killer song coming up, but so far, yeah, we have all the songs, and... um, one song I played in Wacken. I was in, in Wacken three weeks ago at the big German heavy metal festival. And I sang the first song, like and it's called Raise Your Fist. And it's like an anthem, I think a real metal anthem. And that will yeah, definitely make the record. And we have some other anthems, some speed metal, hardcore songs. And one song, it's called Hero, and that's actually in honor and dedicated uh, to Ronnie James Steele, and that's in the making, and uh, yeah, and and lots of of good stuff, and yeah, I'm I'm excited so far, I think it, it will be a good one, and yeah, and probably coming out in spring.
3: Okay, do you have a title as of yet, or you're still working on that?
1: Yeah, we're still working on it. The work title is Raise Your Fist, but it's uh, it's the work title. I don't know if that will be the only one. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, okay. Yeah, so, yeah it's too soon to say, you know. Sometimes the day you print the record, you think, oh, oh I want to change the name. <laughs> I did that a couple of times, but the record company always was, like, in shock, and they hated me for it, but then, you know, it was, uh, yeah, last-minute things. But usually that's, like, you know, when if you're strong about something, even when it's the last minute, you know, you've got to do it. And then, yeah, <laughs> so so you, you never know. And, mm-hmm. Hey, metalheads and headbangers, this is Doro Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Master Text Radio. I wish you a great time.
2: Rock on and keep metal alive. Mm-hmm.
3: Something Wicked This Way Comes off of the 1990 Gene Simmons produced Doro CD. Uh, Purposely chose that track just to give you guys a a slight hint as to something that Doro will be commenting on in the future. Uh, We'll close the episode with something else that will sort of help uh, what people's whistle for uh, other comments that she'll be making somewhere down the road. I uh, really appreciate Liz over at Splitter for turning everything around so quickly and setting the interview up. Again, apologies go out to Doro uh, for her losing her house. Apologies are just saying that I'm you know, terribly sorry for hearing about that. And uh, thanks to, once again, to Bill Meese over at E1 for setting me up with Alexis Brown from Straight Line Stitch. Seth Thacker, actually, their guitarist, has lent his comments to the Classic Albums column, so check that out. Um, He's sent comments over for a few different albums and uh, that's pretty much it. want to thank all you guys for listening. Remember to go to Mark Striegel Radio to find out, or actually I should say, to hear episodes of Mars Attacks Radio. On Thursdays, we usually debut new episodes. Uh, you could go to Stream A of Mark Striegel Radio to hear those episodes, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Also, remember to go to marsattacksradio.com to check out when the episodes repeat uh, throughout the week and to be able to listen to or download the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast via uh, iTunes. And remember that you can send your comments or leave them directly on the website. Uh, Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks Podcast.
4: Love me forever. Or not at all. And no tell Back to the wall. Give me your hand Don't you ever ask why
0: Promise me nothing Live till we die Everything changes It all stays the same Everyone guilty Everyone dies to where someone is
4: We are the system. We are the law We are corruption Work when they call One of another Laugh till you cry Faith unto death Or
0: a knife in your eyes Everything changes It all stays the same Everyone guilty, no one to blame. Every way out brings you back to the start. Everyone dies to break somebody's heart. Oh, my lost love.
4: Spine. You know love's a thief, steal your heart in the night, slip through your fingers, best, best hold on, on tight.
0: Everything changes, it all stays the same. Everyone beauty, no one to blame. Every way out brings you back to the start Everyone dies to break somebody's heart